there's a little bit of news that I have for my old viewers. I'll be returning to television this summer, not as a newsreader anymore, but I'm making a program on religious heritage in the Netherlands, and that will air in August. So that's, you got the scoop, Maurice. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. After 14 years, back on your screens. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk. Yes, good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest and she will introduce herself. Elde, please go ahead. Well, hi, everybody. First of all, Maurice, thank you for having me as a guest. I'm really honored. Uh, my name is Aldit Hunkar. In Dutch, we say Aldit Hunkar. And uh, I'm a global freestyle multimedia journalist, which is a self-proclaimed title and uh, which actually means that... Um, Yes, I am a journalist, but no, I do not have a, a journalist platform anymore, but I do use the same competences in the work I do these days. Mm -hmm. I'm a moderator and a debate leader and a talk show host, mostly uh, in, in venues and not on television anymore. So that's what I do these days. Mm -hmm. And the people in the Netherlands uh, probably know me best from the years I used to do children's news, Jeugdjournaal. Uh, uh, I presented that program for six years and, um, well, that has left some impression, I suppose, on such people. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. And uh, I have a lot of hobby pro projects, uh, one of them being Poka TV, which is my own YouTube channel in mm -hmm. which I do a lot of reggae. But these days I've started doing live programs with my fabulous friends across the globe, much as you're doing yourself, Maurice, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So I talk to my people across the globe and uh, find out uh, in what ways they make this a better world for us all to live in. You lived in a couple of countries during your uh, yeah, youth. Uh, so it's very similar to my children, to our children, um, because I've, you know, I've, I've lived in uh, hardly in the Netherlands with the kids, but in Bangladesh, Indonesia, and now the US. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that experience, because I think you lived in Tunisia, in Brazil, and... Malaysia. Malaysia. So yes. what did and they Suriname, do? Suriname, where I was born. Suriname, yeah. So what yeah. did they do, to, you know, to you as, as a... Well, I suppose it's the global in my in my title. Mm -hmm. I, I do consider myself a global citizen. I, I know I have a Dutch passport and I know I spend a lot of time in Jamaica where I have another life, which you might hopefully touch on later. But uh, due to the work my father used to do um, uh, for the UN or for the Dutch government, uh, we traveled to all these places. I always say I was brought up in four continents and six languages. And what it has done is broadened my view on on the world. 
I know many people feel safety in knowing everything around them. And to me, uh, it's the opposite, mostly. If anything big happens in the world, I, I look outside instead of inside. And that has helped me with a lot of stuff, especially with, you know, the pandemic we are all in now. I believe it's easier for me to to see the relativity of it than people who are very much concerned with their own little circle. Yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting because I, you know, if you look at, and, and thanks for mentioning the, the, the COVID crisis, because I think, you know, that phenomena uh, should have, should make us realize that we are all interconnected, that, you know, we exactly. cannot solve problems by ourselves. But um so yeah, you see basically two streams. One, you know, a smaller group I'm, I, who understands that we are in this really together globally, and another that goes more tribal. So yeah. is that because I, I, you know, I haven't been in in the Netherlands for the last since 2019 actually. Stay so, away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to see my son who I haven't seen since the end of 2019. So. Okay. Um, yeah, so what do you see in the Netherlands? Yeah, it's, I, see, I see exactly here. that. And I believe, but, well, this is my opinion, I believe that the naysayers are, are people who are as afraid as everybody else is because of this uh, pandemic, but just don't know how to vent it. And what happens then is, like I say, people turn inwards. And when you turn inwards, your only concern is what happens to you personally hmm. instead of seeing the bigger picture where... You know, if the world had dealt with this pandemic properly from day one, I'm pretty sure we'd be out of it now. But because of this um, dichotomy that 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 uh, started to exist, we are always, be, you know, running behind the facts, trying to to solve problems that were made because we are not dealing with it properly. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe that if we had all from day one seen that this really is a global thing, and then the only way to get out of this uh, predicament is to solve it together. I, I'm, I firmly believe that, you know, things would be a lot better now than they are. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that fear is is, is, is a very important factor in, in um, the splitting of society that we're seeing now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, you know, the fact that you were exposed to so many perspectives, cultures during your upbringing, mm-hmm. you know, helped to develop... And empathy and an ability to understand, um, yeah, that we that people look at it differently. Also, but at mm-hmm. the end, you need to find a, a spot where you can start to dialogue and, and work together and collaborate, right? That's so, right. Um, tell a little bit about you know the the because you do a lot of moderating. I saw on Friday maybe you did a you did a panel or or. Yeah, tell something about the project that you're working on at the moment. Well, this 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 uh, project that we did this Friday was the creative and cultural sector in the Netherlands mm-hmm. who have come up with uh, what they call the new creative deal in which they they uh, presented to parliamentarians their plan for the future of the sector because as you may or may not know, it's the cultural and creative sector in the Netherlands that has really been suffering from the pandemic because a lot of... Um, um, you know, the government took care of a lot of people, but they kind of forgot this sector. And it's actually quite a big sector in the Netherlands. You know, it's it's 3.7 of our um, uh, gross national product and, and, and you know, 4.5 of our total workforce. So it's, it's as if 
the cultural sector is, is, is a forgotten child that nobody is taking care of these days. Whereas it is that sector that can actually help us look at the world in a new way and to, you know, to find solutions for problems that we have, whether it be cultural, whether it be climate, whether it will be, you know, uh, East meets West or black uh, hates white and all of those things. It's the creative sector that comes up with, with solutions. So I believe that they need proper funding and proper uh, uh, support from, from all of us and especially from, from, from the government. So the, the, the session yesterday was about that, about parliamentarians meeting people from the sector and exchanging ideas, basically. And I, as a moderator, and then the one doing the, the interviews with the people or announcing them for their, for their pitch and stuff like that. And did it go well? It did. It did. I do believe that the, the, the sector made quite an impact on, the, on, on Parliament. So I certainly hope that um, we, we are in the Netherlands now waiting for a new cabinet after mm -hmm. our elections in March. And I do hope that that new cabinet will pick up this uh, item properly mm -hmm. and, and, and properly fund it. So what is the secret of, of you know, good moderating? Well, I can't really give you my secrets for free, though, can I, Maurice? But uh, I, I do believe, I do believe that, and that's what I always say, most of mm -hmm. my work is beforehand. Mm -hmm. It's me preparing for, for, for an event. And uh, what that entails is I really need to know, because, you know, I do stuff for education, for healthcare, for, uh, I, do, I do a lot of different topics, and I don't always know beforehand what it is that you know what is the point that we're trying to get across during a session so that is my real work getting prepared to do that properly you know talking to the people organizing it uh, making sure that uh, I have a script that I can work with and uh, stuff like that so preparation is key it's a lot of reading it's a lot of YouTube watching these days it's a lot of background and a lot of talking and then on the day itself that's the culmination of my work. That's how I see it. That's mm -hmm. when I come do my trick as a moderator and, you know, I have, to, I have to be on top of things. I have to know what's coming next. And I have to know that if I, if I uh, goof up, I have to know that, you know, I made a mistake and correct it and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I, I really love my work. It's, it's, I say it, it, it's, it's almost as if I'm still doing television, mm -hmm. except that now I can see my audience. So that's, that's a bonus, I suppose. I started this this podcast as a spin-off of my 100 mile walk um, and I'm walking you know 100 miles in a week uh, to raise awareness around hunger poverty and injustice um, so my question to you is you know if you would be asked to walk 100 miles in a week so that means 15 to 20 miles in a day yeah why would you do that Wow. So that's a difficult question because I'm a lazy person and I do know <laughs> that I should uh, change my ways. But I guess basically you're asking me what really makes me tick and what, mm. what really, you know, gets my, 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 my energy up. And uh, I suppose it's actually the, the themes that you are mentioning. Um, as this global citizen, I believe that we are doing things completely wrong. And uh, I would love to see the world a better place and, uh, you know, more equitable, more just. 
And I suppose that my mission, at least the past couple of years, has been to raise awareness in the West for the fact that we are totally spoiled, that we are the ones killing the earth, that we are the ones um, contributing to uh, war, that we are the ones, you know, taking away natural resources from mm -hmm. all over the world and just, just for enrichment. And I would love to see the West wake up and see that, you know, real riches is not how much money you have in your bank or how huge your house is or whether or not you have four or five cars. That really is not, hmm. that really is not what life is all about. And I would love to see the West learn a bit more from, you know, the countries that they pillage all the time and learn from the people there what really counts and, 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 and be more, you know, more willing to share and, and to stop, stop depleting natural resources all over the world just for fun. Mm -hmm. that, that's something that really gets me going. During those conversations that I have with when I walk with other people, and actually also uh, that I have with people when I virtually walk, like I do with you now, then then very quickly we start talking about spirituality and religion, mm -hmm. and then uh, because it provides a lot of people with community, that's what I understood, um, and then also strangely we also talk about the younger generation mm -hmm. and how they you know, are, are experiencing this. So my question to you is, what do you see happening among youth in your community around religion, spirituality? Yeah. First of all, I really distinguish between spirituality mm -hmm. and religion. To me, spirituality is, is a human thing. I believe we yeah. all have it, whether or not we use it. Mm -hmm. And religion to me is more about politics, money and power. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's the church, it's the it's 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 the mosque, it's the the temple, and that's all about men, basically, in power mm -hmm. of everything. So I denounce religion myself, and I did uh, at at a very young age. But spirituality is something that we all have, mm -hmm. and this is this is exactly what I'm seeing with uh, young people these days. Uh, the religious aspect of life, especially in the Netherlands, has completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. But I'm seeing in young people, let's say early twenties or younger a big need for some guidance and they, they don't quite realize that it is their spirituality they're looking for, mm -hmm. but they're looking for, um, you know, what's the reason for life and what's my, what's my, my, my position in life. What, what do I contribute? So that all to me is spirituality. So mm -hmm. I, I believe they are highly spiritual. I, I also see it in their behavior. They are less, uh, eager to enrich in themselves mm. and to have, to, you know, to own stuff. They, they're more about sharing and more about uh, caring mm -hmm. than, than my generation uh, is. So I do believe it's there. I just don't see that they are having any guidance in it because their parents, my generation, have totally denounced all of that. And mm. um, so that to me is, is, is actually quite a problem. Also, because I'm seeing, mostly in the West, I'm seeing young people uh, totally overwhelmed by life mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, social media and this and that. And everybody has high expectations of them because they are supposed to be the chosen generation. But if you don't know where to find yourself within yourself because nobody ever taught you, then you can't 
make choices in life. So it all becomes one big heap of info that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's what's giving them burnout and, and, and depression at this moment, I believe. So they need, they need a little guidance along their way. I would like to go back to, you know, the differentiation that you made between religion and spirituality, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you have lived in different parts of the world and you've have traveled. Um, so, yeah, so I, you know, you're, I, I think you're kind of describing on the one hand youth and spirituality in the Netherlands or in Western society. But I do think religion still plays a, a very important role in know the other parts of the world do you see there a shift as well and, and what do you see there i understand that for you you know you religion is is not important and you put that aside i still think 70 to 80 percent considers him or herself to be somehow yeah. religious affiliated right yeah. and yeah. then yes um you can make a differentiation I, I, and I, I agree between religion and spirituality but l- let us focus a little bit on that religious uh, role mm-hmm. um do you see globally also a change between the younger generation and religion, or is that similar? No, uh, no, than, no, than no, no, I don't, I don't. But that's that. That to me is 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 a is proof that the world is divided into partitions in mm-hmm. which let me let me say the West um, is front runner, and others follow. Let me try to explain what I'm saying. Um, I'm from a bicultural background. I come from Suriname, where the Dutch were colonizers and where they brought their religion. And and I see the same thing happening in Jamaica, where I live part-time, where the English brought what they call civilization and religion, and they imposed it on the people. Now, for an oppressed people, which is still the case, you can say it was so many hundred years ago, but you know the remnants of it are still very palpable. For an oppressed people, that religion that was forced upon them uh, all those centuries ago is probably, in many cases, the only thing that they have that will give them any kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, relief mm-hmm. in their troublesome lives. So what I would love to see is, for an example, in Africa, where you know religion actually originated, but people have have have... have moved away from their own religions and have adopted the Christian religion and the Muslim uh, religion. And um, that in itself is something that forms a people and um, manipulates them into certain behavior, if you can understand what I'm trying to say. But it is, it is not their own. It is just something that they have adopted or that was forced upon them. So in a, in, in a continent like Africa, and you can see the same in South America, that to me is actually a big problem. I, 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 I'm not sure if I'm a great fan of religion propagating itself across the globe. Because as I was saying, religion is not about your relationship to the world. It is about your relationship to one or two people who want your money or who want the power. That's how I see it. 
Okay. I'm sure it's not what you were hoping for, but this no, is no, how no. I, see I mean, it. I, I, I'm looking here. For, you know, what, what, what we are about is, 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 uh, yeah, trying to share the different perspectives that are, that are out there, and I think that's mm -hmm. really crucial to uh, understand where people come from and to start a dialogue, understanding. I mean, that's really key. I really appreciate that. Tell me a little bit about uh, because it seems to be very important. You live partly. Uh, in in Jamaica, so mm -hmm. so uh, yeah. Why is that, and what are you doing there? And well, it's actually quite a funny story. Um, well, we've talked we've talked about my expat youth, and um, in all those years, you know, I felt at home everywhere I was, but I was never at home. If you see what I'm saying, I was always the newcomer coming in from outside. And then one good day, uh, my first trip to Jamaica, which was purely for the music. You know, I loved the music and I, I thought, let's go see what this island is about. And I remember I was, I, I hadn't even left the airplane when I thought, I, I could just see from the window how it looked. And my first thought was, wow, this is home. Mm. And I'd never had that feeling before. And, and, and it stuck with me. And from that day, I, I, I was telling myself, you know, one day I'm going to live here. And then I, at a certain point, I got tired of myself saying that. So I thought, you know what, I, I better do something about it. So um, I kept on going back and I even I even traveled the rest of the Caribbean to see if it was a Caribbean feeling or a specifically Jamaican feeling that I was having. Mm. And it turned out it was specifically Jamaica. And the only thing I can say to to make myself understand what that was, because mm. I have I have no blood ties to Jamaica at all. The only thing is actually very akin to what we're talking about now. In Jamaica, you have a lot of Christians. Mm -hmm. It's it's the country in the world with the most Christian denominations. And on the other hand, you have the Rasta, which to me are two different things. And Rastas call themselves, a, they say it's a liberty, it's a way of life. And the Christians say, no, this is religion. That to me sums up exactly what I feel. And I, I, I feel very drawn to the Rasta way of life, hmm. almost in the same, uh, to the same extent as that I denounce the Christian church in itself. Not the beliefs behind the church, but the church in itself as a house of power and a house of, hmm. of, of money-making. So I, I, it, it's, it's the most beautiful island I know. They are the most original people I know, and I've seen a lot of different people in my life. But Jamaicans have the power of looking at life in a way that really always surprises me and always, you know, makes me look at stuff in a different light. Mm. And that, that to me is such a wonderful gift. Great. Yes, yeah, it's, it's great to, to hear you talk, you know, ho hopeful. My next question, though, is about worry. Uh, what are some of the things that you worry about at the moment? I worry about a lot of things. My mo my mother keeps telling me not to worry about everything, but I just can't help myself. I worry about the youth. I worry about society as a whole that is splitting into left and right, and and mm. and not just left and right, but extreme left, extreme right. It's also extreme now. I worry about. Uh, I worry about the way uh, things are distributed global globally are not distributed. I worry about mental health. Um, I, I worry about a lot of stuff, Maurice, really. Mm.
where do you still see hope? I do see hope in in younger people. Mm-hmm. I I know there is hope in in that second life of mine because I, I I totally feel like a different person when I'm there. I feel more close to myself. So when I'm there in Jamaica, I I I'm not so uh, worried as I am now in the mm-hmm. Netherlands. That's a funny phenomenon, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, music always helps me. And, um, you know, when I when when my head is full, as I call it, uh, it will always help to to put on some good music and, mm. and you know, give me some other perspective than the let, little let us, circle I'm, I find let, myself in. Yeah, let us piggyback on the music. So mm. if I ask you to mention a song or a piece of music that embodies for a big part who you are, what you are about, what mm-hmm. song or piece of music would that be? That is so impossible. Because, oh my goodness. Okay, what I can say, it, it's going to be either reggae or classical music because mm-hmm. those two those two genres are the only genres I can play any time of day, year, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So let's 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 focus on reggae now. Yeah. And um, the easy thing would be to come up with a Bob Marley tune, but I'm not going to do that because everybody, when I say reggae, people always say Bob Marley. And he does deserve that place in history, but there's so much music that has come from that tiny little island. So I'm going to have to choose something else. And then I, okay, let me just choose one. Let's say Dennis Brown and Black Liberation. Mm. There, I said it. Let's let's put that song out in the world. And what does that song do to you? And why is it, you know, if, if yeah, why does it for at least partly embodies what you are about? Well, first of all, because Dennis Brown, uh, may he rest in eternal peace, Mm. Dennis Brown had a voice that nobody else in the world has or had. Uh, He had a voice that could sound like the wind, that could travel for miles and miles and and be soulful and be, be... touches your heart and all Mm. of that. So that's Dennis Brown as a singer. And Black Liberation in itself tells the story of black people. It tells the story of how um, it's all right to have a black life. I mean, even before the day, right? Because Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter is is, is an issue now. But Rastas have been talking about this for decades, Mm -hmm. decades and decades. So in the 70s, Dennis Brown was singing about the fact that black people can only be liberated if they liberate themselves. Uh, a quote from Bob Marley on this subject is, no, actually it wasn't Bob Marley himself, it was Marcus Garvey who said this, um, emancipate yourself from mental slavery, none but ourselves can free our minds. Because once black people see their own worth mm-hmm. and do not um, need anybody else to validate them, like is now the case, that's when their true light will start shining again, like it did before slavery times. Mm. Uh, Let's never forget that Africa was a wonderfully civilized place and with universities and doctors and medication and schools and all of that before the enslavers came. And from that time on, black people have learned that they are worthless, that they are stupid, that they are lazy, that they can't do stuff. And in the course of 500 years, they have started to actually believe that. So once black people start seeing where where we come from and what our worth is, that's when true liberation will take place. It is not for anybody else to liberate us. 
we need to liberate ourselves. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that is related mm -hmm. with this. And thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, my organization is celebrating, I don't know if that's the right term to use, but 75 years old this year. Mm -hmm. So an NGO of, you know, of many around the world. Um, and, and one of the things that we are doing is looking at ourselves and, and especially how did we do? Um, and one of the big topics is, of course, how did we do around racial justice? And if we do, didn't do well, how should we do better? Mm -hmm. My question to you is more about the NGO sector as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. And you have seen that as, a, as an individual, as a, as a person, but also as a journalist, etc. So, yeah, what would be your grade, your, your report card for the NGO sector? And I totally understand it's, it's difficult to, um, it's not impossible to um, generalize because there are so many mm -hmm. different NGOs exactly. out there. But, but still, to get some, some reaction from you, if, if, yeah. you know, as, as a global citizen, what you have seen, um, yeah, what, what they've been doing. Um, like you say, it's difficult because there are different types of NGOs and some do really good work and some really don't. So let me start with the notion. Let me start with, with, with um, a res reservation I have. Mm -hmm. NGOs are basically mostly Western organizations going out into the world doing good. Okay, let's, let's take that as a premise. Mm -hmm. The danger behind that is exactly that. Why must it again be the West that comes and spreads knowledge? Um, also, there are many NGOs that just do their work because they make money. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm especially very wary about NGOs that um, use children across the world to raise funds. I really mm. do not like that at all uh, because mostly it's a big fat lie what they're telling and uh, it might be footage from 20 years ago that they used. This actually happened. I actually had something like this, that an NGO was begging for funds and they used footage of a girl who was six years old and I asked them about the girl and they said, oh, she's now a 40-year-old woman and you're still using that footage. The woman mm -hmm. has gone on and made a life for herself and you're using this footage and mm -hmm. she doesn't know. So that part of NGOism. I do not condone. And I, of course, I do condone the fact that um, we should share knowledge in the world and we should share, uh, once again, um, funds and, 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 and uh, natural resources. Um, I'm a bit wary that it's always the West that goes out and says, mm -hmm. you know what, this is how you should be doing stuff. We need to look into yeah, that a yeah. bit. Great. And, and, and actually, those are really useful uh, comments. And I, I think, you know, uh, Speaking about my organization, you know, looking at, you know, who has leadership position, how do you work with local uh, communities, um, who's around the table, who has voice, are, are, are basically what I hear, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in between the lines, what you're saying. So, so uh, yeah, that's, that's, no, that's helpful. So, so thanks a lot for yeah. that. Yeah, we you know we are slowly coming to the end of our conversation. I, I can't Already? go oh so my fast. Gosh. Yeah. Um, my my last question to you is: any message, invitation, question for the listeners? 
I would like listeners to try and find themselves within themselves. And what I mean by that is know what makes you tick, know what your own worth is, and know what your talents and non-talents are. Because only in that way can you be of real help to somebody else, because it gives you space to empathize with somebody else. Once you know that your own situation is not uh, in peril because you help somebody else, you are able to spread the love and to give more and to be open to others, other stories. Um, so that's, that's what I would like people to try and do. Find out mm. who you are without the outside world looking at you. Just find out who you are and if you like the person that you are. Once that is in place, you can do almost anything you wish. Great. Thank you for, for uh, this wonderful message. And, and uh, yeah, uh, all the best and good luck with what you do. Thank uh, you. And, and, and best of luck to you as well on your missions, because I really, I really do admire the way you put yourself into your actions. So it's not, you're not just talking the talk, you're walking the walk literally, <laughs> and you're now starving yourself on, on, on a Syrian diet. So um, big up yourself you know, it's people like you who actually make a difference in the world. So I, I appreciate what you do very much. Thank you so much, Eldith. And, and as I said, um, good luck with everything you do. I really and appreciate, you know, your willingness to be here. You're so very welcome. All the best to you and your listeners. for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And last but not least, I would like to ask your attention to the Ration Challenge as some guests of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen, together with me and my wife, will take the Ration Challenge. And that means we will eat the same rations as a Syrian refugee for a week to raise money and save lives. And by raising money and if you support uh, the Ration Challenge, you'll bring emergency food, healthcare and life-saving support to the people who need it most. So if I could ask you for a big favor, go to rationchallengeusa.org slash walktalklisten. Then you will find our donation page. And if you can support us or at least share the information, that would be so great. Thank you so much. Ration Challenge USA.org slash walk talk listen.